1: Welcome to the Thursday, August 5th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'm Joe Bartle filling in for John McKechnie, who I think is dealing with some pretty serious water damage here at his apartment. So I'm I'm happy that we were able yeah. to kind of uh, find a quick solution to that. But I'm happy to be joined alongside with you, Mario, who will actually be doing SiriusXM with for tomorrow as well, too. So it's kind of like a, a precursor for us of sorts.
2: Yeah, thanks for stepping in for John. It's, it's pretty weird. I, John had his apartment today flooding from above and i don't know what exactly happened apparently some empty unit had a toilet that got flushed somehow and somehow that flooded oh my john's apartment beneath it i don't know how that worked but that's it's pretty weird because it was only like two or three months ago that that happened to me also in my (laughs) current apartment where in this very room that i'm recording from at like 3 a.m one day water just started coming through the ceiling and uh I had no idea what was going on with that. So I just, like, I, pu- I called the emergency maintenance and they didn't answer for like 20 plus minutes. So, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm calling, you know, 911. <laughs> and I called the fire department because I was like, I don't know what to do about this, but somebody's got to get this water to stop or I'm going to, I don't even know, raise some kind of hell. And uh <laughs> turned out it wasn't like a water pipe bursting or it wasn't a scenario like John's somehow some girl in the room above mine passed out while we don't have tubs we only have showers And she managed to pass out in her shower with the water running and sat on the drain so that she flooded her entire apartment and never woke i don't know she must have been like on some kind of pill or something right knocked herself out pretty much and like flooded her entire apartment with her shower running for i don't know how long that takes probably like two plus hours i would imagine it was not like the faucet running it was the shower head right and uh anyway yeah so quite a bad stretch for the the water damage category for for the rotowire crew here in 2021
1: and kind of weird situations too that's that's incredible
2: like I, i didn't know what the hell was going on and like the I, I, I assumed like a water pipe just burst up there and no one was home. And you know, the firefighters firefighters just like, uh, some girl was sitting on her drain. Like how, how, how do you do that? How do you sit that precisely on a drain and not budge? How do you not tip over when you're sitting there zonked out on whatever it is? It's like, sounds, sounds like she almost drowned up there or something, which you know I'm glad didn't happen, but she never, I'm just she happy you're not for that or said, thank you for getting firemen <laughs> to wake me up before I made a watery tomb for myself.
1: They probably can't reveal who tipped her off. I mean, if she's somehow listening to this Thursday edition, the she sort of of podcast, she might have an idea.
2: <laughs> she should have guessed right. where that water went.
1: I, I suppose. I'm just happy you're not dunking on her for sitting in the shower. Because I, I that's probably revealing too much, but I sometimes sit in the shower and I... I know people think it's a really weird habit. I
2: can understand like someone gets a headache or something, especially that that makes sense to me. The part about sitting exactly on the drain, drain. covering all of it and then not waking up or budging for hours. That's, that's the part that I will never understand. But uh, anyway, uh, everything worked out. Uh, I, I frantically grabbed all my stuff and threw it out of the way of the water falling in. And we had to have a big stupid fan in here for a couple days, but Oh, well.
1: So is that one of those scenarios where you've now learned what's most important in your life because you grabbed X, Y, and Z before whatever else you were supposed to be grabbing?
2: Luckily, it was just contained in this room, so I didn't have to actually do with the full inventory. <laughs> Prioritized.
1: It was, just, it was
2: it was more like reverse whack-a-mole. Like the water was coming down, and I would just oh. like try to move things out of the way, and more water would spring over here, and then could respond to it as fast as I can. Um, it was a good, I guess, like exercise a good drill a a nice little yeah wake up terrified and think without thinking react without thinking you know good little drill for me then i guess the next time she falls asleep on the drain with the water running
1: (laughs) okay all right well that's good yeah and and great for you guys listening to uh find out the the plumbing situation of both john and mario i thankfully have not ran to that somebody's uh, next scenario Well, that's what I'm saying. Now I feel like it
2: will get flooded now. It's
1: got to be me, right? There's the connection I'm I'm filling in. So therefore I'm going to be prone for this to occur as well.
2: I I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. That's all I'll say.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we have plenty on tap for today. A lot of news. Um, Of course, there is the first preseason game taking place today. We are, we are pro not talking about the the NFL Hall of Fame preseason game, thankfully. So not a lot of conversation. I never heard of that. Yeah, exactly. We just, we ignore that altogether, but a lot of other news and notes to go. Well, maybe even look over the job battle series that you've kind of started on the site itself. Before we do that, let's get a word from our sponsors, Winbet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at roto it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up folks. I have an incredible offer for you with roto newest partner, Winbet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook book app. Winbet is now exclusive sponsor for roto fantasy podcast. And Winbet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more right at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Well, you can just head to WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down on blackjack, or even slam the slots. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless, and WinBet is currently offering all Roto-Wire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download winbet.com. That's, oh, sorry, download winbet. That's W Y N N B E T, winbet, the exclusive partner for our fantasy podcast. Cool. Um, yeah, let's get into a little bit of the news and notes for today. And, and really, I think the first bit of news is that Kenny Galladay actually occurred yesterday or around that point, Is is expected to miss two to three weeks with a hamstring injury. I'm not sure how aggressive you were getting Kenny Galladay. anyway. I, I listened to all your guys' podcasts and, you're obviously one of our better followers on Twitter, too. There's a lot of great people on Twitter for or not me, but certainly you. And I haven't heard you talk much about Kenny Galladay. Does this uh, two to three week window change anything for you in his rankings?
2: Not really, but there's there's some, I guess, concerning stuff coming out of Giants training camp. It sounds like a mess. Jason Garrett still has a job with the team. Of course, that's not coach good.
1: Jason Garrett. What are you talking about?
2: I kind of forgot about – yeah, I kind of forgot about that until that little blurb came up today. and It's like – it kind of reminds me of interested Arrested Development – okay, so so for anyone listening who didn't see, Jason Garrett was saying to the media, like, you got, you got to call me coach. That's the way we do it. And uh, it was kind of weird. Like, he was <laughs> oh, trying dude. to um, kind of, like, affirm himself as, like, this new uh, alpha kind of persona, which, of course, he didn't really – carry in the past and it kind of reminds me of Arrested development when tobias to prove how much he isn't a never nude anymore walks around the house naked for like days in a row in front of everybody in the middle of the day it kind of reminds me of that where it's like come on man we know you're still a never nude knock it off no we're not calling your coach you're jason garrett
1: i think calling him jason garrett is probably just we're being overly polite right i mean that's I don't even know what his role within the, he's, like he's the offensive coordinator, right? Or listed around there.
2: It's going to be, it's going to be just like a running joke. Now everyone's going to say like coach Jason exactly, Garrett, yes. ha ha ha. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, which whatever, it do, I guess it doesn't really matter. He's, he doesn't seem like a bad guy or anything. It's just kind of funny that he felt the need to, I don't know, prove that he's a badass to the media. It's like, they don't care. And they're never going to stop making fun of you either. Right.
1: Right. So with, with Galladay being injured, I guess I moved him down my rankings because I, I have to do the – we're doing the Yahoo rankings now. Um, I haven't seen where the link goes, but a couple of us, like Jim Coventry and a few others, uh, do live rankings every single week on Yahoo, and it gets updated throughout the offseason and the regular season. Galladay was a guy that I had, I think, around like pick 60 to 75 in that range, and I bumped him down about 10 or 12 spots. I'd have to look exactly – where he ends up going. But I, I thought, I loved Galladay with the Lions. Now with the, uh, Daniel Jones, the quarterback, there's a few other pass catchers there. We don't know if Saquon Barkley will or will not be ready for the regular season, but he's going to be more of a factor than anything Detroit was from a rushing game perspective. I think this all really kind of is a downside for Galladay, who's a good player, just in a tough spot, and now also missing time.
2: Yeah, I... No, this sounds like a cop-out to say it and oftentimes it is but I think Galladay is ideally drafted in best ball and I don't mean that because I'm saying like oh I don't know if he's going to be any good And this way it's less risky I mean he should be good at certain times it's just going to be difficult to tell when especially because he's a downfield or I I would imagine anyway he'll be kind of downfield oriented he'll be their overall number one receiver of course but I don't think he's going to get much in the way of like four yard drag routes and things like that he's going to be a pretty high average depth of target player and the further downfield your depth of target is, the easier it is to run into just bad luck on a few targets here and there. It's it's further downfield, the less accurate quarterbacks struggle to hit those throws. Even good quarterbacks sometimes struggle to hit those throws. So he's got a higher difficulty with a lot of his routes and when you factor in Daniel Jones's inaccuracy and Jason Garrett and the, the general issues with that team, You could imagine Galladay falling flat even in what should be a good lineup, a a good matchup, and you could also, in my opinion, imagine him having a good game against what should have been a tougher defense because he's he's kind of a jump ball guy. He doesn't really need to get open to be effective, so good coverage doesn't, I think, get a defense as much against a guy like him as it does – someone who actually needs to create separation. So it's just going to be, you either need to have like the discipline to leave him in your lineup, no matter how bad Daniel Jones looked last week. And even if he goes like two catches for 25 yards on seven targets, you have to just keep Galladay in your lineup because you won't know when he's going to have that, you know, the, the, the ball bounce the right way, you know, and then he gets, Mm -hmm. he just blows up with no real notice. So in best ball, you don't have to think about that stuff. It's just not a problem of yours after you draft him, but in redraft, uh, you know, it's, you probably just want to leave him in your lineup and accept that there might be some, some ugly weeks just due to the quarterback that he's catching passes from.
1: Is he the Giants pass catcher you're most likely to roster in bunches? I mean, they have a lot of guys, but also yeah, a lot of question marks with those I'm not really
2: getting guys. much. It's pretty much just Galladay and Shepard for me. I like Darius Slayton as a player, but I don't think there's room in the offense for him. And it seems like They're screwing with the snap count to make room for Tony, who I think just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like they they should have gotten rid of at least one of Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram because those two and Kadarius Tony need to run in the same part of the field. And Shepard can play a little bit outside. So if it comes down to Slayton or Shepard losing a rep because they want to get Tony on the field, I think it's going to be Slayton, even though I I happen to think he's pretty good. So I'm not able to draft him no matter how cheap he is. Sterling Shepard, I pick here and there ideally more in like point per reception leagues, because even though I think Shepard's good, Tony does probably get in his way a little bit and Jones is never going to be a good passer. So uh, I don't think there's going to be touchdowns really, but I, I can imagine Shepard having a lot of like, you know, five catches for 70 yards kinds of games.
1: Okay. That's, that's fair enough. And I've, i found myself doing the same thing. I like Slayton in best ball formats. For the potential, and I thought he kind of has the best connection with Daniel Jones. But when you say best connection with Daniel Jones, that almost means nothing, right? I mean, like when <laughs> that's yeah. not a very good quarterback uh who's throwing at the ball. I don't feel like it makes like a value point for him. So I that's the only guy I end up t- t- tending to draft, like especially Slayton. with Gallaudet now.
2: Yeah, if yeah. Slayton gets targets, I think he'll do pretty well. It's just I I worry that as a former fifth round pick, he's going to be politically. Basically, like marginalized, while they, they try to force something that isn't even going to be there, in my opinion, with Kadarius Tony.
1: Okay, sticking in the NFC East, um, there was a report earlier today, again Thursday. Miles Sanders has struggled with drops and ball security at training camp thus far. Of course, they drafted Kenneth Gainwell. They 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 signed on Johnson, re-signed Jordan Howard, Boston Scott's still around. There, there's a pretty deep running back depth chart with the Eagles. And then you also have to consider it appears the Eagles are close to acquiring Deshaun Watson at some point. Uh it seemed likely or almost a guaranteed as of last night and now I feel like we've seen a few I mean reports we'll see. Reports of ben, I mean it's hard Ben Albright kind yeah, of walked it back earlier today.
2: Well some of the reports it's just I wouldn't go taking anything for reliable on on this question unless we get it from I don't know. Probably someone like Jake Glazer, I guess. Uh, obviously, someone like Schefter will eventually be on it. But uh, right now, there's just it's Houston's too weird of a team. Philadelphia's too weird of a team. They're they're both going to be screwing with media, trying to get um, some some reporter to bite on something or other. Uh, slash, we don't know. There could just be people screwing with these reporters. It's it's hard sure. to know exactly. People people have a lot of from a lot of different angles have reason to put out misinformation so uh but yeah it's it's been out there for a while that uh for months even i want to say that the eagles were i guess it used to be the eagles and the panthers and the panthers traded for darnold and so now it just seems to be just the eagles bidding on watson and i think i don't know if where are the
1: dolphins in this equation the dolphins should be in this equation too i don't
2: think they care I think they go with Tua. I mean, I think Tua will be fine. I actually predicted it like four months ago or whatever that uh, the the Dolphins would be the team to trade for Watson. But that was before Watson's off-field issues came up. I don't think Miami – it's too risky for some for a situation where they already might have their answer at quarterback. So, mm-hmm. uh, me, though, in Philadelphia's case, I mean, the whole thing is hard to figure out. Even if they trade for Deshaun Watson, they might not be able to play him this year. He might get like suspended all season. That's like why you have James Joe Hurts Flacco. Still start. Well, uh I don't even think that they'll necessarily trade Hurts to get Watson even if okay. this happens because I mean the Houston already has Davis Mills and I think he sucks but a lot of teams probably don't and Houston being a bad team in my opinion it makes sense if they do like Davis uh not Davis uh Davis Mills. Um so whatever there's no way to know what Houston's thinking. Houston could just be trying to tank pretty much. I mean, that's why they signed so many one-year contracts. I saw that people being like Oh, they're so stupid! Don't they know that one-year contracts uh, end after a year? It's like, yeah, they're trying to run up the the number of contracts that they lose in free agency so they can get compensatory draft picks. It's like it's pretty obvious they're they're looking forward a year rather than trying to compete in twenty twenty one. But uh, it's it's hard to tell. I think they're planning to, to go with Tyrod either way. And I'm I know Jalen Hurts is the more recent prospect, and I I happen to like Jalen Hurts in some respects, but. I'm not convinced he beats out Tyrod Taylor or Davis Mills for a starting role. So I've been off Hertz all off season. I just, I can't figure out what that team is doing and the things that I do think are plainly apparent are all really bad looking to me. So I just don't want to deal with it, but yeah, I guess, you know, until this Watson thing blows over the people who are already invested in Hertz might want to just kind of hold off for a week or something like that before taking on more shares of him.
1: Well, okay. So let's put this, in context of the other skill guys in that same orbit. Oh, i sorry, let go back. Bouncing. Yeah, to go, no, to no, go no, back it's a little okay. bit.
2: Like Miles Sanders. No, I, I should have said Miles Sanders is the starting running back. They're not going to bench him. The concern that I think is more valid is that, yeah, he is a natural receiver and he's always been bad about fumbles. That was the case coming out of Penn State. It was a case, especially early in his rookie year, before he had that hot stretch in the final eight, 10 weeks, whatever it was. Last year, he dropped passes. He saw his passing pass-catching production totally fall off a cliff. Shocked at how much the fall-off was, even though I thought he was overrated going into last year. Uh, He's never going to be good at that, or at least he'll never be as natural at it as certainly someone like Kenneth Gainwell, who I liked a lot. I think he's as good as Michael Carter, but uh, I don't know what they're planning on between Sanders, who should be unchallenged as the main runner, Uh, but I don't know what they're thinking in passing downs with Boston Scott, on. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell no idea what to make of it all I know is I don't really want much to do with it but if the Eagles are competitive in games Miles Sanders should get carries and for whatever other limitations he has he's pretty clearly a good pure runner like if you just give him the ball give him the field to work with there's not that many running backs that are more dangerous than Sanders it's just he's not as good at the fundamental details as uh, some, some of these other guys especially when it comes to just holding on to the ball obviously so Um, I am staying away from Sanders, but it's not because I'm worried about him getting benched. I'm worried the Eagles are going to be bad this year and they might need to throw the ball more than they planned on. And if they, I guess the more they throw it, the worse for Sanders or so we have reason to fear.
1: Okay. And if they get Watson, does that change your outlook on Sanders at all? If Watson's able to play, I I I mean, there's a lot of questions.
2: Yeah. I mean, if Watson plays, he's, probably going to be really good i mean i don't know i don't know what to make of there's no precedent for us to look at you know there's nothing no kidding we can't we can't look at some past historical case and be like well the last time it worked out like this there's no last time probably won't be another time after this don't know which way it's going to break but if watson's out there even with a bad offense around him you would expect a pretty huge gap between him and whatever standard of play jalen hurts would provide so that would be good for sanders
1: I haven't heard you and John's opinion enough on Rager, who you guys were obviously really high on last year, and now Devonta Smith. I mean, just an overall from a pass-catching perspective for the Eagles, regardless if it's Hurts or Watson, if they are a bad team and they're going to have to pass more, you would think that would then benefit Smith and Rager as, as guys that could be able to make some value on their current uh, ADPs.
2: Maybe. I haven't drafted any shares of... I maybe took a Smith share back like a month or two ago, but I'm definitely off now. Um, I wasn't targeting him in general, even though I thought Devonte Smith was going to clearly lead that team in targets. I was totally concerned about the quality of those targets. And because, you know, because I was out on Smith, I was also out on Rager, even though I still like Rager. A lot of the criticisms of Rager, in my opinion, are total hyperbole. I don't know what to make of his recent kind of personal Ish struggles. I, uh, it's not good to see as, as you know as sympathetic as it, as easy it is to be sympathetic toward Rager. It's not good for fantasy projections to have all this stuff that he's got to worry about, clouding his mind when he already has to deal with what could be a difficult task playing for this team that I think is going to be quite bad this year. I, I like Rager a lot as a prospect, but it's it's not as if I ever liked him because I thought he was so polished as a receiver or so reliable. To me, I was more into Rager because of the upside that he has, and because of the way I would design an offense, I could definitely have a use for a player like Rager because I'm I want to make the safeties sit back, I want to create room for the run, and I want to use the run to get the safeties leaning forward, set them up with play action, kind of I would probably run like a more up tempo, slightly more spread out version of what the Titans do basically. So I could use a player like Rager because he is extremely explosive and he can run after the catch. And if you if your fundamental defense you know, doesn't account for him. He can make you play with the, make you pay with the home run every time. And I want that home run threat in my offense. It's something I would really insist on having. So I like Rager a lot for those reasons, for the real life reasons, but especially when it became apparent that the Eagles were looking at the possibility of going with Hertz all year. I just was too low on Hertz as a passer to see it as a good situation for Rager because uh, Smith will get more targets Smith is super polished, whereas Rager is more toolsy and kind of raw, uh smith is probably older than rager even now or at least he's not much younger if he is so smith is super polished gets a lot of the targets that's what you need for fantasy i was worried about rager being kind of like a decoy slash big play specialist and a run heavy offense that didn't throw the ball especially well
1: you were dead on smith is actually older by two months huh.
2: So uh, yeah. yeah, I happen to the way I look at the game, the way I look at prospects, I don't do this thing where people are like, "Oh, I saw five snaps from this rookie and he dropped two paths in them. Like mean, he sucks. I, he was a bust last year at ADP. He sucks now. He's dust." Like I don't understand what compels people to think that way. He's a young prospect who needed development time. Prospects always go or almost always go on a certain development trajectory, and the younger they are, the more productive they are at younger ages. The more athletic tools they have to work with. These are all reasons to give sort of leniency in their development time because they're working it out and they have all this stuff to work with to to maybe figure it out with a little more wisdom, a little more time to work on their, their craft. But yeah, there's all these people who are like, Oh, a 21 year old player who by the way was playing through uh, what was it like a busted shoulder and a torn ligament in his thumb or something like that. Rager was playing hurt a lot last year. He had two nasty injuries that he came back from like three weeks earlier than what the initial prognosis was. So yeah, doing with that and Carson Wentz and the offensive line falling apart, I'm not really inclined to look at Rager's rookie year and be like, oh, what a what a turd he is because he didn't do well in that situation. It's like nobody did well in that situation except Travis Fulgham for two games.
1: Right. I think that's I think that's fair, and, and especially if you have concern about Hurts, I think that's probably a different podcast altogether. Like what the Valley of Hurts and, and where other people stand on them is going to be interesting. And i one of those him. stories to follow.
2: If you got him, if you got him a dynasty or something, just sell him. Cause
1: yeah. And you did, you did he, in our dynasty can, league.
2: He's not right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he can make it work in a certain kind of offense, but it takes a certain coach committed to running the ball, running the ball with the quarterback. And I'm just skeptical that he's ever going to get that situation. And if you try to make him throw the ball 36 times a game, he's just not good enough at passing to, to hold up with that level of exposure. In my opinion.
1: Okay, fair enough. There's a couple other news that happened today that I wanted to at least get your opinion on, Mario. Before we do that, a word from our sponsors, Dynasty Owner. Are you tired of the same old fantasy football leagues that get canceled after a year or so? Well, if that's the case, Dynasty Owner has your back. Go to DynastyOwner.com. New leagues for the 2021 season are forming now. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office by incorporating a salary cap and real NFL player salaries for diehard fantasy football fans that want the real GM experience. Dynasty owner adds a whole new level of strategy in that element. Are you worried you won't be able to find anyone to play in a league with? Well, just don't. I mean, dynasty Owner's got you covered and will help fill your league with fantasy full enthusiasts like yourself. You won't have to worry about finding enough players. You can choose to start a league, join an existing one or purchase a team from a previous owner. If you're serious about joining the big leagues, go to dynastyowner.com and start your dynasty today. Jerry Donabee and I are both in an expert one. I enjoyed it a little bit last year. They probably emphasize the quarter, the kickers too much that so you actually have to start, essentially two kickers, which I don't like, but otherwise it's a lot of fun. And I, I do enjoy that format. So uh, definitely one of our, our good partners out there and uh, check them out, dynastyowner.com. The other bit of news that occurred today that I want to discuss was Rondell Moore exiting practice early. It's with an undisclosed injury. Uh, it's not believed to be serious, but I feel like we've heard that before with a couple of these guys, and then it turned out to be a little bit more in the context of both AJ Green and Christian Kirk. Uh, on on the injured list right now. This was supposed to be Rondell Moore's time to shine, and I've heard a lot of people say, once Moore got a chance to be in the starting lineup, the Cardinals couldn't take him out. Well, now here you go. He's hurt, uh, and this could be a possibility for Andy Isabella to finally get a few more reps and, and make a resurgence in that lineup. Where do you stand in the Cardinals' pass catchers altogether and, and your, your thoughts, regardless of Moore and Green and Kirk's health?
2: Well, it's something that I think is a bit fluid still. Like I don't think the Cardinals need to go with any sort of definite based offense. I think they're going to let AJ green, Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore compete in training camp. I don't think Andy Isabella is, I mean, if he's even on the team, he's not going to play a whole lot. He doesn't really fit Kingsbury's uh, all curl route offense, but Isabella can make plays downfield if there is such an offense. You know, is, to be fair to Kingsbury, I guess they're talking about using Andy Isabella more so outside this year. They they were using him a lot in the slot last year and trying to make him run over the middle on these short routes. And he was never going to be good at that. That's not how you use a player like Isabella. You got to send him downfield. If you're going to play, if you're going to insist that he play the slot, then make him run far downfield at least. Don't give him short routes. Um, but I I guess if they're going to keep him outside he can at least be like a speed decoy threat out there. And Isabella isn't trash or anything. It's just he he has certain limitations and the Cardinals have asked him to take on too much exposure in the areas where he's limited. So uh, with that said, I don't, I don't see why he would play much this year. Uh, I guess if one of those top three guys is hurt, then maybe then, but I don't see much in the way of fantasy potential. I think he'll be a, a low target per snap kind of player, even if he's efficient with his targets so I think what we're going to see is, you know, the, this team maybe four wide isn't its base formation, but it's pretty close. It's it's like its second I would imagine most frequent formation at worst uh if, in in that case the 3 wide would be the most frequent. So there's going to be a lot of reps to split up even after DeAndre Hopkins and his of course giant share of of the target rotation, but it's it's something like, you know, AJ Green's 32, whatever he is now. And he's, he's had his injury troubles. So guy like him, a guy like Christian Kirk, I suppose both have somewhat elevated durability concern. Even Rondale Moore got hurt at least two of the past. No, you got hurt both of the last two years at Purdue, if I remember right. So sometimes these things work themselves out just because, you know, each of the three only plays 14 games and they all kind of get their moment in the offense. But if they all stay healthy and you're looking at the most likely base formation, I think it's just Kirk and Moore both play a lot. There's there's going to be a lot of double slot formations, be it trips or just four wide. And if they're both on the field, at that point, I just kind of start thinking about what the route combinations are going to look like. We're going to still have probably DeAndre Hopkins mostly on the left side. Maybe Kirk switches that up. Maybe Cliff switches that up a little bit this year. Last year, he pretty much only had Hopkins running on the left side and running kind of like eight-yard routes on the left side with a few exceptions each game. If that keeps happening, then obviously none of these other guys are going to be running on the left side or underneath all that much. So from the slot, you're talking about Kirk versus Moore. These are both really good prospects, I think. And people have forgotten what a good prospect Christian Kirk was, specifically as a slot receiver. And specifically how the things that make Moore uh, interesting from a production standpoint at Purdue also are positives for Christian Kirk. Like, they were both remarkable for how good their true freshman seasons were like Christian Kirk kind of had a Rondale more like true freshman year at Texas A&M that people have since forgot about. Um, But when he was playing outside at the right receiver spot last year, that was him playing out of position. He should have been in the Larry Fitzgerald role the whole time. So it's one thing to observe Christian Kirk failed somewhat at right outside receiver. It's not Tantamount to the observation that he failed in the slot or is likely to fail on the slot. He's more likely to succeed in the slot, or at least if you think Rondale Moore is likely to succeed in the slot, the exact same reasoning would apply to Kirk. So I see that one splitting up on the trait basis, which is to say Rondale Moore, being fast, runs further downfield generally, or at least the downfield routes that there are to split up between the two of them, Moore gets most of them. Kirk probably is more of the technician stuff underneath, and especially in the intermediate. If you're talking underneath targets for Moore I'm thinking mostly jet sweeps and screens. I don't think he's uh I don't think he's going to take the same part of the field that Kirk will. Like Kirk should be uniquely good underneath intermediate and in the middle of the field whereas Moore can offer uh more for the offense going deep, having, you know, the 427 speed or whatever it is. So I kind of see more running from the slot, splitting the slot workload pretty much evenly, not evenly, but something where kirk is basically more present than most people are expecting but i can see it working out for both of them Uh, especially again if if aj green keeps having injury troubles or if it just turns out he's not very good in that scenario you know where they don't have aj green then rondale i think just goes outside i could be wrong but it's like he can he can run those routes that kirk can't outside like kirk doesn't really have the speed to run downfield the way that they might want that outside right receiver spot to go so um I i think it's there's a way for everybody to pitch in here. Uh, I, I, my main takeaway though, f- looking at like the ADP right now is I think is going too high because I don't see how we reliably separate the projections of Moore or Kirk or green. To me, it's kind of, they're, they're pretty close to each other and more probably costs three rounds earlier than Kirk and four rounds earlier than AJ green, or at least that's how most leagues I've been in have gone.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually. So Kirk's ADP on NFFC formats uh, within the last five days, so like August 1st to now, Kirk is at 191 guys around him in that range, Terrace Marshall, John Brown, Paris Campbell, all taken a little before within that same round, Emmanuel Sanders, Traquan Smith, yeah, Terrace Marshall, John Brown, Paris Campbell, Shepard, all before Christian Kirk. And so then Manu. for what
2: it's worth, that's that's the opposite of I, so with the ADP I was talking about, I guess I should have just said it's underdog. Like on there, I okay. know he goes like two rounds before Kirk. Well, probably like three or four rounds before Paris Campbell. So that's interesting. The that NFFC ADP appears to be quite divergent. And uh in that scenario... well more, more, is, ahead more is ahead
1: of right, Kirk. Moore is ahead of Kirk. Right, sorry,
2: even even uh, even Terrace Marshall, he's going like okay. a round or two later than Kirk uh than, than Moore is on underdog. So um I was just it's talking about how I wouldn't really want more at his current ADP. I guess I got to take that back. I'm, and the NFA, NFFC ADP, I would be interested in more in that range.
1: Okay, because Moore is at 174, which is about around higher than Kirk. Guys before more are Eglor, Elijah Moore, Bateman, Henry Ruggs, Cole Beasley. Again, that's within the last five days. I, I mean, like if I'm looking at those names, I agree with you. I think there's an upside play out of Rondell Moore from that section. You can, I mean, I've, the Aguilar pick is like a a boring one that, okay, fine. And I know Bateman's been getting a lot of buzz, but I think with that Arizona offense, I'm okay with more.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I would, I would definitely take Rondale over Aguilar. That's one. Those guys go like three rounds apart on underdog and Aguilar goes easily later always. So that's interesting that the markets are so different between those two sites, I guess. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking really. I mean, I guess it's just different opinions and the, the I don't think, I mean the
1: scoring system's different. It's full point PPR and NFFC, whereas I think it's half point for underdog, right?
2: Yeah. I I would think the half point PPR would sooner hurt Rondale more, or at least certainly not be an advantage relative to these other guys. So I don't, it's seems like um, NFFC people are a little lower on him, I guess, than the underdog. The the best ball format might explain some of it too. Like maybe people on best ball are, thinking, Oh, Rondale's going to be super inconsistent, but that doesn't quite seem to be what I believe. They seem to more so believe an underdog. Like he's the wide receiver too in this offense. Cause AJ green sucks and Christian Kirk sucks. And that line of thinking, I definitely reject. I don't, I am pretty sure Christian Kirk doesn't suck. And even though it's more likely in the case of AJ green, I don't think we should be so sure that he sucks either.
1: Uh, okay, cool. I, I won't curious. Like I've heard you talk about the underdog best balls quite a bit. How many shares do you have thus far in underdog? And like, what's the end game goal by the end of August?
2: Uh, How many shares do I have of Rondale?
1: No, I meant like how many drafts have you done on underdog?
2: Oh, um, I think it's, I think I've done something like 20 or something like that. That was my thought. Um, I don't have, yeah, I don't have any Rondale shares. I have a lot of Christian Kirk, Uh, Christian Kirk's on probably like 40% of my teams or more. Which uh, I'm not afraid to take more exposure there. I'm, I'm pretty sure the people doubting Kirk are wrong to do it.
1: Do you think you're going to get to like 35, 40 underdog uh, drafts by the end I don't of the know. Or... We'll
2: see. So the ADP sure seems to be tightening up, in my opinion, and or at least in some points. Like Jonathan Taylor is going way too late. That's stupid. Some like DeAndre Swift going too late. That's stupid too. But it's harder drafting now. Maybe like the Akers injury and um, mm. the Michael Thomas injury have had something to do with this. But there's just a lot more picks, especially if I'm remembering right, in kind of like the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round range where I'm getting on the clock and I'm like, God, this sucks. I don't want any of these players. Whereas when I was drafting earlier, I usually was like, yeah, I know what I want to do. I, I, I know what I'm doing here. This is going to work. I find myself being stressed out and pissed off a lot more often on the clock right now. So <laughs> if that keeps happening and if I keep going, getting out of these drafts and basically feeling like I didn't even get like an advantage in that draft, maybe I'll just close up shop. But uh, then again, if Taylor keeps falling against my better judgment, I'll probably be compelled to keep drafting.
1: All right. Yeah. So don't, don't reveal any further. Cause I do, I do want your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts offense as a whole, but first we got to go from our sponsors. AutoNew. AutoNew Fantasy Football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real GM. It's better fantasy football, auction-based, deep rosters, and you can include college player prospects. Stash the next rookie of the year while he's still tearing it up on Saturdays. You also trade for superstars to make a championship push, develop a team over multiple years, play against the best fantasy football competition on the internet. Just visit ottoneu.com ucom I'm in two different AutoNew leagues. I really like them from a auction based keeper perspective and, and the college prospect part really makes things intriguing. It's been a lot of fun to play in those and I think that's a format out there that doesn't get enough coverage. So that's that's my spiel on auto new not you know obviously we have we have reach with them and partners. I like them quite a bit too. And we also have a word from our sponsors Blue wire
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed
1: Um, I do again, Mario I want to get your take on the Jonathan Taylor situation. So for everyone, I'm sure all the fantasy podcasts right now are kind of talking about the same thing. I, we had conversations. I think Jake and I did on Tuesday about Jonathan Taylor and the Colts as well too. So the backdrop Carson wants out five to 12 weeks, the ridiculously large timetable for the injuries uh, comically notwithstanding going to make some question marks with Jacob Easton, possibly starting uh, at quarterback for the Colts. Maybe they go in a different direction You look at the waiver wire or free agency, I should say. Not a lot of guys out there trading wise, not a lot of guys out there. It seems more like that. Jacob Easton has to be your starter for the Colts week one. Then you have Quentin Nelson having a similar injury to Carson Wentz, also out five or 12 weeks. Uh, Nelson comes out on his Instagram says, I'll be back in week one. No problem. Uh, Rah, rah, I'm a tough offensive lineman, yada, yada. This has now made Jonathan Taylor, who was, I thought, a slam dunk five or six overall running back go outside of the first round. And I just spoke with Scott Pinoski and Sears XM uh, today. And then we had him on for the podcast yesterday and he was like pounding the table. No way. Am I taking uh Taylor within the first round? Where do you stand Mario?
2: He was actually falling even before those events happened. And now that he is falling or sorry, now that those things happened, he's falling even more. I don't care at all. I think that people are still confused about what kind of player Jonathan Taylor is and we're still plagued by this sort of um, the sort of fantasy analysis that really decontextualizes everything and just looks at PPR points and targets per snap and things like that and like, a target's much more valuable than a carry so any running back that doesn't project for 70 targets doesn't have enough upside to be worth taking and I think that that reasoning is buttressed by a lot of ideological, tenets that are totally arbitrary or that I definitely reject. I have, I have no patience for a lot of that stuff. And I think that there's kind of like an underlying, there's like a resulting confusion from this underlying sort of reasoning that's become so popular in, in, you know, so-called analytical analytics sort of media where because this emphasis of the target and this idea that, that the running back, the running game doesn't matter, They don't see the difference between one runner and another. They just, they both don't matter. If one is great and one is good to me, that doesn't matter because I think neither is legitimate. That's just, that's just how this reasoning tends to go in practice. In my opinion, it's why you get a person like this, uh, like Kevin Cole was saying today, like, I just wouldn't have drafted Nick Chubb in any scenario because I don't want to have to deal with the scenario of him being good and having to pay him later. Like that's insane. You don't pass on a great player because they cost money later, especially when we're talking about getting them on a second-round contract anyway. But anyway, I think these are I think these are irrational conclusions to reach, and I think they're informed by ideological details that just you can't substantiate. And when you fall into that line of thinking, yeah, you're gonna look at Jonathan Taylor and then look at I don't know, uh, Javante Williams or David Montgomery or Miles Sanders. And not be able to tell the difference. Why would you? They're both crap. Neither one's any use Look cool, right? So uh, I happen to think that that's all wrong. I happen to think that much like Nick Chubb last year, we're going to get to next year with Jonathan Taylor, people talking about how like, oh man, look how great of a pure runner he is. He's even better than all these other guys. He's a he's a total monster. It's like the basically the kind of reasoning that leads people to reject Jonathan Taylor is the kind of reasoning that led people to say, Deion Lewis is better than Derrick Henry and Beam Hunt is better than Nick Chubb. Being in a being a truly elite runner still does matter, and there is a difference. In practice, there's a huge difference between giving a carry to someone like Jonathan Taylor and a carry like Mar- to a player like Marlon Mack. So I understand the fears that people express about like oh Marlon Mack's gonna force a committee with Jonathan Taylor. Even if you believed that, you should have thought that's a less likely scenario upon the Carson Wentz injury occurring. You get away with giving carries to someone like Marlon Mack instead of Jonathan Taylor if it both works out. If it works out in both cases. So if you think that Carson Wentz makes that offense worse, then it means that the cushion, like the margin for error that you're working with as a runner, as a play caller even, gets slimmer. It means that the cost of going with an inferior player like Marlon Mack instead of Taylor goes up. And that's something that you can get away with if Marlon Mack's is getting the first down just like Taylor, but he's probably not. And especially if you believe that Carson Wentz's injury is a problem, then that only becomes more the case. They're more dependent on Taylor as a result of that injury. The Quentin Nelson detail is a little concerning. I'm personally not going to care in the second round, especially. I think that the question of, like, whether he's worth a first rounder at this point is immaterial. He, he's not going there anymore. Who cares? Uh, don't take any player around earlier than you have to. It's not insightful to me to, to say, like, he's not worth a first round pick when he's going in the second round. Now the argument is becoming, is he even worth that? And I, I think if you, if you knock a player who is otherwise worth a top five pick. And I think that's exactly what Taylor was over Carson Wentz's injury and Quentin Nelson's injury and having them fall into the second. That, that seems like a bit much to me, especially when we don't even know that Nelson's going to miss time. It's different for an offensive lineman to manage an injury like that. than it is a quarterback. You can just tape up his ankle real big and then go out there and, and just, you know, do squats, do deadlifts, basically in the trenches. It's a lot different than running and planting your foot and throwing the ball uh, 40 times a game. So we'll see. Uh, I, th- I think that the Quentin Nelson injury is a, is a reason to not take Taylor in like the top six, assuming he was even going there in the first place, which of course he isn't. So yeah, taking, taking, getting, getting like scared of Taylor at the 12th pick or so of the Quentin Nelson injuries, in my opinion, an overreaction. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's also weird to me that people ever believe that like Carson Wentz was part of the appeal for Taylor. Like I thought Carson Wentz sucked all this time. I didn't care. I didn't have anything to do with it. It, You know, Jacob Eason probably is not going to be good, but I thought Carson Wentz was definitely not going to be good. It doesn't matter to me.
1: So I'll, I'll point this out at least on the NFFC format within the last two days, Jonathan Taylor is actually being selected at 11 overall. So back into the first round early second, I would imagine the slide continues to fall um, as more mainstream fantasy people continue to talk down. Jonathan Taylor, but there is this conversation that maybe, maybe you do consider it. I'm, I'm curious where your break point is. So I I know you're high on Nick Chubb. He's going ahead of Jonathan Taylor in a full point PPR. Are you taking Jonathan Taylor over Austin Eckler?
2: I I won't say every time, but probably like, okay. All right. I'm I'm taking Taylor over Nick Chubb and and like me and John, Oh, you're you're going Taylor over
1: Nick Chubb. you are taking Taylor over Nick yeah, Chubb? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Uh. I mean, I, I love Nick Chubb. Me and John are like the original Nick Chubb guys. We were screaming <laughs> yes, the are. last three years about how everybody should be taking Nick Chubb and stop talking about how anybody else can do what Nick Chubb does because it was never true. I'm saying now, Jonathan Taylor is in an offense with more targets available than Chubb has in his. And I, while I happen to think Chubb is, I don't know, the best running back in the league, tied with Dalvin Cook, who's best running back in the league, something like that, I also think... Jonathan Taylor is going to be close to that tier as a pure runner. A lot of the reasons that Chubb is so dominant apply to Taylor too. And in Taylor's case, there's more obvious check down opportunities in the offense. I think like we already saw him working well as a pass catcher last year. So uh, there's not like 60, 70 catch upside with Taylor, but with Chubb, I am worried about him finishing a year with like 30 catches. Whereas I consider that Taylor's floor.
1: Okay. So that's interesting. I would have thought, pretty slam dunk Nick Chubb over Jonathan Taylor. And I, I was in lockstep yeah, with like you and Chubb John. Still. Yeah, no, I was in lockstep with you and John about Nick Chubb. And I was Jonathan Taylor last year too. Um, And I, I think Jonathan Taylor is one of the best backs in the league. Absolutely. But I, I think I'll still take Nick Chubb ahead of him right now because there's a bit more of a safety to it. I, I also think it's not like Carson Wentz is going to be gone the entire year. And if Wentz is back and if he ends up only missing a couple games, which is possible, I don't think that really hurts the offense as much as people are anticipating.
2: Yeah. I don't think it really matters that much. I mean, Carson Wentz is not a good quarterback. He's, he can do some things pretty well. He can make some plays here and there, but he's not a reliable player in any sense. So, but he's better than Jacob. Right. I mean, like he's, I I don't have enough. I don't, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I have like a low opinion of them both and it just doesn't really matter to me. Uh, and it, it, the reason it doesn't matter to me is because if they can't throw the ball, then they have to run it. Like it, if they want to run it and they want to get a first down, they got to run it with Taylor. So I, I just see it that much more likely that Taylor goes over 20 carries. I don't know, most games now, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe not most, but uh how do you look at that offense now and consider Taylor anything but one of the league favorites for most 20 plus carry games? Do they think uh, they're just gonna put Taylor on the bench after the first quarter because like, oh, we're down nine to nothing now and Jacob Eason sucks. Time to put in Naheem Hines so we can throw it more with our quarterback who sucks? I doubt it. I think you're giving Taylor the ball because he's your only good player now.
1: My only my only argument to that would be all right, so we have the Joe Mixon factor coming into play where great, he's getting the workload, but he's inefficient with those carries. Taylor's better than Joe Mixon. I think mean, Taylor's really good, but the circumstances are pretty limiting. That's, that's where I'm, I'm looking at with Taylor.
2: Mixon's talent level is overrated and the dysfunction of the Bengals is under-acknowledged. I don't think hmm. that Taylor, I don't think Taylor playing for the Bengals would necessarily result in a mix and, mix and outcome. But I do think that the, the Bengals situation is still worse because As much as I have certain gripes with him, Frank Reich isn't a total clown as a coach. But the Bengals are at serious risk of quitting their whole season on Zach Taylor, uh, which I kind of surprised they didn't do last year. Uh, But anyway, I think I think Taylor is several magnitudes above Joe Mixon as a talent. And uh, if if we're see, I think a lot of people would invite the volume connection there. I guess some people are still saying like, oh, Marlon Mack's just as good. But I think a lot of people are acknowledging like, oh, they're going to have to give him more volume now, Taylor, that is. Mm-hmm. and But it's going to be a wash because the efficiency is going to drop. It's like, it might. I mean, it, it might. the efficiency might drop. It's not necessarily going to. In fact, sometimes against certain runners, you don't want to stack the box because if you put your safeties up too far, you're not leaving the last line of defense. You're getting too aggressive making a stop that you think you can make. But – With a player like Taylor, you're more likely to be wrong than you are with other running backs. And if you are wrong, he's going 80 yards. So uh, like an extreme example of how this dynamic can work, someone can look at Tevin Coleman's last year at Indiana when they had this guy, Xander Diamond, playing quarterback who – he wasn't a quarterback. They had no quarterbacks on the team that year. They were throwing it like 11 times a game. Every single play, there's nine defenders in the box against Tevin Coleman. And it went horribly wrong because he kept getting these 70-yard touchdowns against teams because, you know, they – they get him on 12 yards for 10 carries on his first 10 carries. And then they'd give up that big play over and over. Cause they didn't have a safety to cut off that long angle on him. They would get too aggressive. You miss once that's, that's the touchdown cost. Like you can't miss once against that kind of speed.
1: Okay. I like that comparison. I, I had heard it was, it was like a way back machine talking about Jamal Lewis um, with the Ravens. And and I was always like, okay, well, Lewis wasn't that fast to be able to break those. And I don't really recall Nine um, in the box, box of Jamal Lewis, fast. but okay, all right. I guess I'm thinking mad rings. That's my problem. Monster. You know, he, yeah, well, he was a monster. I just didn't think speed was a part of that equation necessarily. Either yeah, way, he ran
2: like a he ran like a four three eight at two forty or something like that. Oh man, totally I don't remember that Sorry, all. I didn't, okay, I, I, I'm just like a big Jamal Lewis fan, so I was just
1: kind of, I know, and I, I maybe I shouldn't have. You know, there. that's 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 fair enough with <laughs> like Jamal Lewis, but it's okay. That's it's an interesting comparison, right? And I think some people again nine in the box automatically it's a bad thing when you have someone explosive as Taylor or Jamal Lewis might be a different scenario. You had mentioned the dysfunction with the Bengals. And I think it's probably a good segue to end the podcast talking about the current dysfunction that we're seeing right now. I don't think I've ever seen a unanimous just piling on from a group of people that are supposed to be more or less like piping up a certain team than what we saw with the reporters from the Bengals the past couple of days. So just to give an example, we have a pretty, uh, important context with the athletic uh, discussing the Bengals and how much they have struggled, both wearing pads and without pads. Uh, There's been talks about Joe Burrow, like taking gimpy steps back, clearly favoring, favoring his knee. Um, And this is just the beginning of training camp. Yes. Things can get ironed out, but at one point, and I was among this group, the the Bengals were one of those teams that were talked about as a great stacking option um, for best ball purpose and everything else. How concerned are you with this? And, And like, what are you seeing right now with the, the beat writers in particular with the Bengals.
2: I don't know what the proper perspective is with these reports from the Athletic, but I can definitely say that I've never seen reporting like that on football practices NFL teams anyway. I've never seen anything like that. That's that's not to say that we know past teams haven't had days that bad as what was depicted in that article. Maybe maybe ba- maybe days that ha- uh that bad and every year and we just never learn about it because media don't really report on it and maybe maybe the athletic reporters were kind of just taking an editorial liberty that most outlets wouldn't i don't really know but accusing the athletic people of uh embellishing or kind of um otherwise misleading this portrayal of this team is at once possible but also like a pretty it's not like a you know, serious accusation, but it's an accusation. And I don't know why we would lean toward that as the default likelihood. It seems to me more likely that this team that has always been mismanaged and has a coach that is one of the worst in the leagues and it, the league and isn't respected by his players and only has his job in the first place. Cause he married Mike Sherman's daughter. I think that that team with a quarterback coming back from a three ligament knee tear late last season was not necessarily likely to have problems like this, but certainly more likely than other teams. And if they're failing and if they're looking disheartened and disorganized as a team, that would be just kind of what they've usually done. And Zach Taylor being there a few years now, being respected at no point, being effective as a coach at no point, his bit is probably wearing thinner than ever on the team. And it doesn't need to be in the form of the team being like, man, Zach Taylor sucks. I don't, don't, I'm not going to work hard for that guy it gets to be like everybody's kind of just getting like depressed being there, just kind of, you know, getting a little burned out, get just being a step slow because you're just, your heart isn't into it. That kind of stuff kind of piles on and and the mood, you know, weighs on you and it's hard to escape after years of feeling like you're in it. And if every, everybody goes into the year with this generic optimism but like, yeah, we got Joe, we got Jamar Chase and these cool receivers. It's going to be fun. We're going to throw the ball a lot. And then you get to training camp and everything's broke and you're just disillusioned and your faith is shattered. Like it's hard to stay focused and work hard and be as good as you can be when, when things like that are happening. So I feel like the practice report is probably totally accurate and that there is a problem there, but a couple things I would say, one, there is time for them to improve. I don't know how excited I am about the possibility. It's hard for me to have much faith in this team and I absolutely i if i if i was in vegas or something i would put money on zach taylor getting fired this year i am pretty much positive it's going to happen
1: that's probably like um, minus 350 could, though that, that's like it's yeah, guarantee to get fired
2: oh i mean i i, I just think like it, it is an actual guarantee rather than like a likelihood but uh yeah i think um you know they, they could get better over the course of training camp they almost have to it sounds like they couldn't possibly right. get worse uh, so whatever, that that's one thing. Um, the other thing is though, I, I've seen people saying like, and this is understandable, but people are saying, Oh, they see, they should have took Panay Sewell. Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow doesn't have enough time to throw. I don't know if that matter. I'm pretty sure it doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure that Burrow coming back from that injury was always put in this unfair position that people expecting him to be just as good as ever coming back from that. It's like, why would we believe that? That's a serious injury and it happened late last year. I I have no idea why we were ever, optimistic about that as like the default policy um, and then you know like having ha- having having like the offensive line be better doesn't make the knee hold up of course but also Sewell's not even 21 yet he's going to be 21 in like October I think it's unrealistic to think he would have been better on the offensive line but even if he were even even if Panay Sewell were Jonathan Ogden 2.0 and just absolutely shut down everything that came to the left side of that offensive line this team probably would still look bad in that particular practice that we're talking about. Like the the problems are too big to be solved by anybody. uh, Let alone, you know, the question of whether chase or Sewell is what it all hinged on. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it really was all coming down to that pick, but I happen to think that Zach Taylor is just hopeless as a coach. And uh, you know, I I don't see how that team plays to 90% of their potential with that guy running the team.
1: All right. So that's pretty damning evidence. We have some ADP talk here for Joe Burrow, at least within the last week or so is around pick 100 in NFFC formats. I don't know where he is underdog. I could pull it up, Uh, but that will put him at quarterback 13. 13. So quarterback after Burrow would be Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan. And then for some reason, Trey Lance has gotten all the way to that point. And I like Trey Lance, but that's a different conversation. Are you taking Lawrence over Burrow? I think that's, Probably, yes, I would Hell imagine. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, was, I was saying that all off season, and then Lawrence just kept getting cheaper, and Burrow kept getting more expensive, and I was like, why are you doing this? Um, but yeah, I I love Lawrence. I, I think Lawrence is going to set the league on fire pretty much right away.
1: Okay, how about Matt Ryan over Joe Burrow?
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty low on Burrow, I think. I'm probably as low on Burrow with the Bengals as anyone out there, really. I still wouldn't take matt ryan over him okay maybe, maybe right. i should rethink that because ryan's good i just worry that he doesn't have any help there pitts and ridley is all he has
1: yeah i'm i'm right there with you and i was more optimistic on burrow um than probably most people i again i was of the opinion leading the charge that bengal stack actually was pretty affordable to do at this point though that's concerning evidence what you just talked about i agree with you the zach taylor effect that cannot in, in both ways cannot be understated or overstated. I don't, I don't think people really truly understand how miserable of a coach he is. And if I think Taylor people needs to say they, looked at it, well, they need to say a thank you gift yeah, to no, uh, Adam right. Gase, right? I mean, I would rather
2: have Gase.
1: No, don't say that. You don't actually mean yes, that.
2: I would, I would rather have Gase, man. Do you know how bad it was with the Bengals the past 10 years and AJ green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap dealt with all of it. They didn't say a word. And then last year, AJ Green just basically goes AWOL after three embarrassing games. Uh Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap are both like, we're not playing anymore. This guy sucks. Trade us. We're not doing it. We're done. It's like, think of what they had to get put through to reach that point. Like it doesn't, and I'm not saying like Zach Taylor's like a bad guy or a scoundrel or something. I'm saying he makes everybody depressed to play for the Bengals. And they they feel like they're wasting their time and their labor and their emotional investment in this team, and it's hard to compete against uh, you know opponents who are running at hundred and ten percent effort. It's like you got to match that intensity, and you ha- you have to mean it because you can't fake it. And, and it's like you're, you're already probably the worst team to start with. You, you can't be uh, running on half motor when you're already the underdog. So I don't know. I think I think it's just. There's there's a lot of rot in Cincinnati, and maybe it's not even really Zach Taylor's fault. Maybe he's just kind of been failing upward like this for reasons outside of his control. Maybe the second he became engaged to Mike Sherman's daughter, he was not he was put on this trajectory that he couldn't stop, and it's not his fault. None of that really matters to me. I'm just saying the the collapse is plainly apparent there.
1: Oh, I that's that's great, and I don't really have anything else to add to it other than. It'll be a situation to monitor throughout the preseason, even if you, even if the Bengals look excellent towards the end of the year. And I'm sure after all the reports that came out, there's going to be somebody somewhere in that Cincinnati Bengals organization that says, yeah, you're going to have to make this right. Um, whether or not, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, diss the athletic guys whatsoever. I just think you never see that negative publicity so rightfully come out, and there's going to be consequences for that, whether it's true or not. So great, there's going to be some puff pieces later on. I'm I'm definitely more skeptical of the Bengals than I was entering this week, and and I think most people should be at this point.
2: Yeah, I'm interested in Mixon if he falls far enough, and Higgins and Boyd. Realistically, I'm not getting any Chase shares. I never understood why he was going ahead of Higgins in the first place. So, uh, I'm out on Burrow. I'm out on Chase. I'll be on the lookout for Higgins falling too far, Mixon falling too far, but. It's it's definitely the volume that you're kind of buying. You're not really buying the hope of efficiency for anybody.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that does it for us on the RotoWire or Thursday edition of the NFL podcast. Again, Joe Bartle filling in for John McKechnie, Mario Puig alongside me. We'll be together again tomorrow, uh, breaking down some XM work together, and they'll be starting the rest of the Friday edition's through the season, so I'm looking forward to that. And of course, this podcast is sponsored oh, yeah. by WinBet. I imagine John will be back, hopefully not dealing with any uh, water-related incidents <laughs> next week. So you'll have his lovely voice and uh, analysis to break it down with you guys.